Welcome to 15 Minutes to Wellness by the American Council on Exercise. I'm Dr. Michael Mantell, the ACE Senior Fitness Consultant for Behavioral Sciences and your host for this series. My goal today and for every podcast in the series is to discuss some small steps you can take to help you better your life and find happiness through health. In each broadcast in the series, I'll interview a new health and fitness expert. I want to welcome our AARP Decide, Create, Share listeners as well, and the hundreds of thousands of folks searching for positive ways to make fitness and nutrition a part of their daily hectic, busy, tight, budgeted lives. And I am very, very pleased today to have my good friend, Chris Dobrosielski. Uh, Chris is a certified strength and conditioning specialist, uh, certified personal trainer and health coach through the American Council on Exercise, an acclaimed author. He wrote a fabulous book, which I think everyone should read, called Going the Distance. Uh, Chris is a nationally recognized fitness expert. Chris, you've been helping people improve their health and their lives for 25 years, although you look like you're 25. Uh, Prior to forming your own health and wellness company, Monumental Results, in San Diego, you were a trainer, a faculty staff, wellness instructor, an associate head strength and conditioning coach at the University of California in San Diego, and an all-around great guy. Uh, Folks, you have a uh, a rare opportunity to hear a true, uh, brilliant leader in the fitness world uh, as you listen to this podcast. We're going to be talking about uh, the idea of measurement, uh, uh, where you are versus the ideal, and where people are headed. Uh, The idea of heading towards health, longevity, uh, living well, uh, is on the minds of so many of us. Start by telling us what you think about when we dis- when we describe the difference between where I am and the journey, the monumental journey to where we're all going. Thank you, Michael, and thank you for that introduction. I would start by saying that we don't drive a boat from the stern. We drive a boat from the bow looking forward. So I think what's really important for people to consider is where do they want to go? Identifying where they're at, but the direction that they want to go with their health, their mental health, and quite frankly, all aspects of their life. So when it comes to um, the idea of this journey that we're on, um, the small, consistent changes that need to be made, um, you've, you and I have talked about the fact that this is similar to the Japanese idea of Kaizen, K-A-I-Z-E-N, uh, which is translated as good incremental change, continuous improvement. It's a central component of the ACE 28, day, uh, 28 Days to a Healthier You program. Give us an example in real life uh, where you have helped a client along that journey and how you can help some of the listeners today. Sure, Michael. I'd be, I'd be happy to do that. Uh, it's kind of difficult to pick one client because I've based my helping and business model over that Kaizen kind of philosophy. So all of the people that I work with get exposed to that. One individual that stands out in my mind, he's 82 years old. He's been in my life as a client for about 15 years. He came to me in 2006 in his mid-70s. 
a best-selling author in business and a consultant for a company that helps other companies drive sales and marketing. After a trip he took around the world, 30 days of business, he came to me and said, if I don't improve my stamina, I'm either going to have to give up my job or I'm going to die on the road. Of course, we're not going to have him die on the road. He said, what can I do? So what we did, Michael, was set up a gradually progressive program. Again, this gentleman's in his mid-70s at that time. Three days a week, focusing on muscular endurance, which is going to help him with his day-to-day -day stamina on the road. We addressed his aerobic exercise, which up to that point was minimal walking. So we just upped that ante a little bit. And we dealt with some postural issues. Three days a week, 30 minutes a shot. We've been doing that for almost a decade now. He's still traveling the world at 82 years old. Not quite as much as he used to, but still getting the message out and doing what he loves. So it is really uh, small steps to, a, as you put it, a monumental for monumental results. Those are impressive results. Um, so many people spend time sitting at desk jobs, uh, long commutes, uh, watching television, basically being sedentary and, in, and inactive. And suddenly they go to the doctor and they hear, you know, you need to become more active. Um, the, there was a study published in the American Journal of Epidemiology uh, that women who sat for more than six hours a day had a 37% increased risk of premature death versus women who sat for less than three hours, uh, regardless of how often they were active. So your client is saying, I don't want that. I want to live. Uh, a, a good, very good friend of mine, Dr. Walter Bortz, and a good friend of American Council on Exercise uh, and AARP, says that um, we live too short and die too long. And so... What advice would you give a person who wants to lead a healthier life, but who's been inactive and paid very little attention to their nutritional choices, they feel overwhelmed and they're paralyzed? The first thing that I would tell that person is congratulations for considering perhaps the most important issue in their lives. Without the body moving, without the mind being well, uh, any days forward uh, become far less desirable. Number two, Take this process one step at a time. Again, when I gave my friend that I'd mentioned those instructions almost a decade ago, his first question was, well, surely a half hour can't be enough for a session. What's really important is we identify where we're at, we assess where we want to go, and we set up a gradual plan to get there. Celebrating the successes along the way, either with a coach or on your own, and then picking yourself up and dusting yourself off if you come up short. So those small proximal successes, those little steps, quite frankly, the Japanese proverb, the first step, this is the essential move. And don't go it alone. Bring in either a professional or a support network that can support you in keeping you real in that goal. So we know that an ideal for many people for um, activity, for physical activity, is two and a half hours a week. What about these studies that say you can break that down into 10-minute segments, uh, 10 minutes three times a day? I don't have 30 minutes. What kind of advice do you have for folks to be able to break it down to that small, simple, one step at a time? 
In physical therapy, we say motion is lotion. So any movement... <laughs> Wait, look at that. Motion is lotion. I love that. I hope that our listeners remember that one. <laughs> That's a great one. Any movement fundamentally is good movement. The simple things, literally parking further away from a building, literally being sure that you get up from your desk in the, in the course of your day and don't go prolonged periods of time using a portion of your lunch period to get some amount of activity in, whether it's enthusiastic stuff or just mellow walking around the building two or three laps with coworkers, a spouse, what have you. So I, I would agree that any movement is good movement. I think when we can link some moderate intensity or some slightly longer pieces together, there's a payback there. But in the meantime, linking that together adding it up in the course of the week is a victory in getting you on the right path. So if you attempt too many major changes at once or think that's what you have to do, you're in trouble, right? It's the number one reason people fail in an exercise program. Too much, too fast, too big, too hard. Move slowly. What you're saying is move slowly, one step, the first step, advance towards your ideals through a series of small steps, right? Yes, and scientifically, we do need to progress our exercise over time. Gradual progression, which is a key component in my book, Going the Distance, is a, cent is a central element to improving. But that said, we don't have to be intimidated by that. It usually happens naturally. For walkers, it means you start to include more hills in your course. Or perhaps the pace picks up naturally because your fitness level is rising. Perhaps your gym workouts get a little more vigorous when you add a training partner. A lot of that progression does happen naturally, and so I don't think we need to be concerned about it. But in the meantime, it's that steady state exercise, getting those miles, so to speak, under your belt, allowing your body to accommodate, accommodate to those physiological changes, that stress that's being put on it is essential. What, how important is it to sweat? Good question, Michael. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you why I asked that question. Please. The question behind the question. Yeah, because you think about this. You know, a guy, a woman in her 50s, 60s, we're not talking to 30-year-olds necessarily. That's, that, may be, that may be different. But someone who's been, you know, not particularly active, 56 years old, isn't comfortable sweating necessarily. Most Many are, of course, of course. Um, you're talking to a guy in his 60s now here, me. I don't uh, believe you. <laughs> it's true. And, you know, my wife, and my, my wife Paula, is an is a A-certified trainer, and we sweat like crazy. But I have a lot of friends who have not been active. And they go, you know, I'm not so comfortable with sweating. I can't work that hard. And they keep reading and hearing, you got to sweat. You got to, you know, break the sweat. How important is that when you're getting started? As you know, as a behavioral specialist, Michael, at the end of the day, the things that are going to make a lifestyle change really work is that it's safe, is that it's comfortable enough, and that people feel like they can venture into it and they're not going to get hurt and not be stretched beyond too far beyond their comfort zone. So the answer to your question is, Initially, people should be comfortable. If they don't want to sweat, then just get out the door. Doing the prescribed exercises or activities is a fantastic place to start. Having said that, down the line, if our ambitions are to do hardier activities, if you want to go and hike a hill, 
or a small mountain. If you want to take a vacation that requires uh, 10 hours a day of walking through Italy and Rome, etc., well then you're going to be sweating in Italy and in Rome, etc. You need to put in the time that mimics the types of activities you're after. Mm, so you're so, so so when you're walking um, in Italy and whatnot, and you are act, you don't even realize that you're burning some calories, getting your heart rate up, and sweating. It's like accidental. I have another question. What if what if someone is confined for whatever reason to a wheelchair, um, or they use a walker? You know, um, what kinds of activities can you recommend? For someone on the journey to gauge their their journey that way, are there activities that folks can do then? Absolutely, the two that jump out at me that I'm a big proponent of. Uh, one is aquatic exercise, and we have some great facilities here in San Diego, the San Diego Mission Valley YMCA, where my good friend Bill Walton, a basketball legend, trains in the water six or seven days a week when he's in town. Bill can no longer ride his bike the way he'd like. He's limited in his jogging and walking rather significantly, but the water is a perfect remedy. Secondly, uh, weight room activities. Uh, almost regardless of the challenge, the physical ailment that something uh, someone might be dealing with, there's ways of adaptively working around the limitations that you have to introduce certain activities, pushing, pulling, some form of bending that are going to move you towards a healthier, more potent existence. And you don't want to miss those opportunities. So I'm in a wheelchair. Yes. I, I don't mean literally me, but persons in the, in the wheelchair, uh, they are not, they're immobile for whatever reason, but they can move their arms. So they can pull, they can push, they can lift, they can get that activity. Yes, and someone who's who walks with a walker yes can find ways to do other kinds of physical activities what i'm hearing you say is there is no excuse really that's what you're saying i'm saying there are no limits no limits i love that even better so there are no limits okay i i think that's terrific so whether it's aquatic or jogging or uh bicycling uh taking a walk there's always lifting uh the, the activities of daily life can be translated into motion. Michael, you know, whatever height you are and whatever your width is, if we only had that amount of, amount of space, then we could get something constructive in moving the body. And I tell my business clients, my travelers that all the time. Well, the hotel didn't have a gym or the neighborhood wasn't safe to run in. Hotel, uh, room, on the floor, on the bed, there are several legitimate things one can do to uh, have an impact on your health. Chris, it's been a pleasure to have you today. I want to thank uh, all of our listeners for joining me as well. As always, I encourage everyone to subscribe to this podcast and continue your journey to health and fitness by visiting acefit.com, where you can find everything you need to live your most fit life. You can explore thousands of healthy recipes, health and fitness videos and articles, workout plans, health programs, creative ways you can get your family moving, and expert insight on a wide range of topics. You've been listening to uh, Chris Dobrosielski, and you can reach him at his website at monumentalresults.com. I urge you to pick up his book, Going the Distance. Please join me next time on 15 Minutes to Wellness, 
which you can find at acefit.com backslash fitcasts.